You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. All right, if you have a Bible, let's open it up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, starting in uh, verse 14. And Jacqueline's going to come and she's going to read for us. Matthew 9, starting in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is, a new, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that's a light to our lives, and that you show us the way, and that you are the way. And so, Lord, this morning, through your word, would you help us, through your word and your spirit, to have this come alive for us and that it would conform us to your image. Make, make, make your word make us look like you. And that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a, there's a theme that you'll see oftentimes in great books, great stories, great movies, and you'll recognize it Oftentimes, if you're thinking about it, it's this idea, it's this theme of a new hope because something new has happened. A new hope because something new has happened. A game-changing event where everything's going to be different. The old way is gone, the new way has come. A new day has dawned. And so, because I know there's a lot of Lord of the Rings nerds at the Vine, um, I wanted to talk about this Right, You'll see it in The Lord of the Rings, uh, a resurrection of sorts. Now, spoiler alert, but you've had 70 years, 70 years for the books and what, 20 years for the movies or so. Um, there's a resurrection of sorts. So in the first movie, um, Gandalf gives up his life. Or actually, it's the second movie. I don't know where it's at in the books. But Gandalf gives up his life for his friends in the movie The Two Towers. And he succumbs to the ball rock and... Uh, he dies of sorts, and then he is resurrected as it happens in the land of Middle-earth. And he comes back to his friends. And when he comes back, everything is different. There's no going back to the old Gandalf the Grey, and now it's Gandalf the White. He's been changed. He has new powers and new abilities, a different state of being. And his friends, as a result, they rejoice when they see him. And they don't want the old Gandalf back. And they rejoice that the new day has dawned. Here's what he says to his friends in the book. In the book he says this. He says, be merry. We meet again at the turn of the tide. A great storm is coming, but the tide has turned. 
In the movies, he says, I come back to you now at the turn of the tide. What is he saying? He's saying, there's a new day. It's dawn. There's a, a, a corner turning. A moment has happened, and it's happened in me. I'm no longer getting off the gray. I'm getting off the white, and everything's going to be different now. It's still going to be hard getting the ring to Mordor, but we've got a fighting chance now. Things are different. And we're never going back to the old way of doing things. Well, that's in a a fictional story. You can see this also, though, in our modern-day lives. We've all experienced this corner-turning events. Maybe it's Pearl Harbor. Maybe it's the attacks on the World Trade Center. I'll I'll give you one that's a lot more positive in some sense. Um, A few hundred years ago, the corner-turning event was the printing press, right? You could have books in your own language and disseminated easily, right? And in our day, what is it? It's not the printing press. It's the Internet. It's the Internet. I remember 1995 when I got my first email account, and it was revolutionary. Now, at that time, nobody had laptops. And so in college, you know, I was in college in 1995, and we would race to the computer lab to check our email. And it was awesome, right? Like this new form of instantaneous communication, you know, no stamps and licking envelopes and all that madness. Now I can send messages just in an instant. And that was fun, this give and take instantaneously. It's like this new power had been experienced, right? Well, a new day has dawned with the internet, right? A new day has dawned. We're not going back to the printing press. We live in the information age. We live in the day of the Internet. And the Internet is so interwoven into our lives. I mean, can you imagine the Internet going away? I mean, I I can hardly exist for 24 hours without my smartphone, right? Like our world would come to a screeching halt with all the things that are predicated on the power of the Internet. If it were taken away, life would just be bizarre. A new day is dawned, and there's no plans for us to go back anytime soon. Well, here's the deal. In our text for today, we're going to see Jesus remind his people that with his coming, it's the exact same thing. Since he's come, everything now is different. A new day is dawned. We're never going back. And the way that he gets to this point is, as you'll see in verse 14, it's through a question about fasting. Now, that's kind of peculiar, right? Like, what's going on here? Well, let's take a look and see, and we'll unpack this. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? All right, so let's put this in context. The disciples of John, who's that? This is John the Baptist they're talking about. The forerunner to Jesus. The one that said, Jesus is coming, he must become greater, I must become less. I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. Okay, Jesus, or John the Baptist prepared the way. He was a leader. He had disciples. And his disciples are checking Jesus out and they're kind of going, you're interesting, you're peculiar, we want to know about you. And so we're going to come and ask a question about how you live your life. How you live your religious life. And they're asking here, what's the deal? 
we fast, we practice fasting, and the Pharisees practice fasting. But what's funny is we've observed that your disciples do their religious life a little differently. They don't fast. And they're wondering, what's the deal with that? What's the deal? So they asked Jesus. Well, it's important to understand the difference between maybe how we would practice, practice fast, fasting and how Old Testament Jewish people would practice fasting. You have to understand that to understand this text, okay? So here's the deal. In the Old Testament, Jewish people would practice fasting as an expression of their longing for the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that was going to come and, and, and set up the, the rule and reign of God in their physical space. And so for them at this time of this writing, what did that mean? It meant the Messiah would come and kick out the Romans. At this time in history, the Romans were the imperialistic, oppressive force that dominated everything. And the Jews longed for their Messiah to return, set up his kingdom, kick out the Romans so that they could rule and reign with him. And so what they would do is they would refrain from eating. That's what fasting is. It's a form of fasting. To heighten their awareness of this need. It's not all about food. It's all about ultimately the Messiah. Okay? And so instead of just constantly feeding the impulses of the body, we need to be reminded that there's something greater that we need. We need the Messiah. We need the Messiah. And fasting can help you focus on those right priorities. That's why Jewish Old Testament people would fast. Longing for their Messiah. And so the disciples of John the Baptist are just saying, hey, this is why we fast. Aren't we all Jewish here? At the time, that's what, just what they thought, right? Jewish, uh, Jesus was a rabbi. They didn't fully understand what he was here to do. How come your guys aren't fasting? We're all on the same team, right? Well, Jesus is going to help them understand. Look at verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus underscores here what we've already stated about how to do fasting from their point of view. It was an expression of mourning, an expression of longing, an expression that things are not as they should be. That's what Jesus says here in verse 15. He says, can the wedding guests mourn? So what's Jesus getting at here? He's painting a picture. He's a master teacher. He's giving an illustration based on everything that they would have known from their culture. What he's getting at is this. You don't put on a sad face at a party. When you go to a feast, you eat, right? He's getting at the fact that for his disciples, the day of mourning is not now. He's going to teach them that since he is here, everything is now different. His presence means no fasting. He wants to teach them the difference between the old way of Jewish fasting and how his people as Christians will fast in the future. So here's what he does. Let's unpack this, this metaphor that he uses about a wedding and a bridegroom a little bit, okay? 
So you see there in verse 15, he equates himself with the groom at the wedding. So imagine it. The groom down front in our terms, like the tux, smiling, music playing, waiting for the wife to walk down the aisle and seal the deal. And he's equating himself with that that kind of person. And and his point is that a wedding is what? It's a time for a party. It's a time for a celebration. It's not a time for mourning and sadness. Have you ever been to a wedding that was like somber and sad? Like that would be really weird, right? Let me put this in, in recent terms for us. We all, most of us, I would assume, have recently celebrated Thanksgiving. So let's change the metaphor, and this will help, help us um, understand what Jesus is getting at here in light of that. So let's talk about Thanksgiving for a second. So we just had a great Thanksgiving. Friends, family, come over. You know, prepare a big spread of food for us. Um, my sister and, and her whole family came, and my brother-in-law volunteered to get up at 5 a.m. and put the bird in the oven, Right? And so, man, that was awesome. I wake up at 7 a.m. Usually I wake up to the smell of coffee. My wife might get up before me and make the coffee. Oh, it smells good. But, man, when you wake up to the smell of turkey roasting, man, that's a dream. Like, we're going to have a good day. Like, we're going to celebrate. We're going to eat. We're going to give thanks. We had about 19 people in our home Kim and some others were cooking for two days. Lots of food spread out. Move the furniture, bring in the extra table and chairs, right? Everyone gathers. It's a time to dive in and eat, right? We, we, we all relate to that. But let's, this didn't happen. But let's just say something like this then happened. We pray. All right, let's go. Let's eat. And there's one person that doesn't go through the line. And they just kind of sit there looking sad. And they don't eat. And when everyone asks, you know, the over, sitting on the wall, you know, kind of like a wallflower, you ask them, like, what's wrong? And they say, no, nothing. It's kind of awkward, right? It's kind of bizarre, right? It's kind of a downer on the party atmosphere, on the vibe, right? Jesus is just saying that his disciples know that that kind of a thing is not how you celebrate Thanksgiving. You dive in and eat to the glory of God on Thanksgiving, right? Jesus is just saying when you go to a wedding, you eat the food. You clap for the couple, right? You dance at the dance. He's saying there's a time for celebration and there's a time for mourning. And his whole point is this. When Jesus is physically present... When the Messiah has physically come in space, time, and history, when what the Jews have been longing for century after century after century actually comes to pass, it's not a time to express sadness or longing or mourning. It's a time to express celebration and joy and faith and thanks. See, the Jews fasted because they didn't have the joy of the Messiah with them. But Jesus wants his people, then and now, to see that since he, the Messiah, has physically come, the day of mourning is not right now. The day of mourning is not right now. It's over. So he just continues to paint the picture with some more great analogies that people of that day would understand. Look at verse 16. 
No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. What's he doing here? He's just saying you can't mix old with the new. You can't mix old with the new. He's saying that the old way of doing things, the old Jewish way of fasting, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that day is over. That day is done. A new day has dawned. Like you don't put a new patch on your old jeans. That's what he's saying. Like if you do that, that new patch that hasn't been washed and dried will, will, will just shrink and those jeans that have been washed and dried multiple times, it'll tear that patch. That's all he's saying. He's saying you can't mix new with the old. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It'd be like breaking out the printing press from the 15, 1600s or whatever and, and, and going into your new job where you're maybe the editor of an online newspaper and saying, hey, you know what we should do, guys? We should use this printing press. And they're just going to look at you like you're crazy, right? No, 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 no. We can't use the printing. Like what? That thing doesn't even work. Like the categories are all different now. Like we can't do that. There's no going back to the old way of doing things. A new day has dawned. And Jesus is just saying, I am the new way. I am the new way. Everything's different now. It's like when I'm present at the party, the party goers are going to party. Right? It only makes sense. Jesus has come. The good news has been delivered. He's He's going to die and be resurrected, and it's going to change everything. A new day has dawned. So let's rejoice. That's the whole point of Jesus' response to the questioners in verse 14. You feel that? So let's move this text now into our neighborhood. The question, if you're thinking about this right now, might be this. Is fasting even something that Christians should do anymore? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, again, let's look closely at verse 15. What does he say? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Great question. Answer, nope. But, he says, the days will come, future orientation, the days will come, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So to understand what he's getting at here, we have to understand a fundamental concept when it comes to reading the Bible. It's a theological concept that makes your Bible fit together. And so it's, I want everyone here in the room, if, if, you, if you love Jesus and you love God's word, you got to get this, okay? And it's this concept called the now and the not yet. Another way to say it is the already and the not yet, okay? So it's illustrated like this from this text. One of the great tensions of the Christian life is that we live between the coming and the return of Jesus, the first coming and the second coming, right? So on the one hand, we rejoice, the king has come, right? He came the first time. And the king, now through the sending of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, the king 
lives by his spirit in us, empowering us individually and collectively as a church, as a church family. So on the one hand, this is not a day of sadness. We live post-resurrection. We live post-sending of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's amazing. This, a new day has dawned, a new experience for all of God's people. It's a day of rejoicing. But at the same time, we don't have the experience of, of God, the experience of the Holy Spirit in its fullness as we one day will have. It's now, but it's not yet. It's both, okay? We want more of him. We have him, and we want more of him because our sin gets in the way. It has not yet been fully defeated. We grieve the Holy Spirit at times. We have to practice brokenhearted repentance at times. We cry out to God, God, we want more of you and less of ourselves. We want more of you and less of our sin that entangles us and confuses us. We, want, we have you, but we want more of you. We want more of you. We, don't, we want less of these foolish, man-made identities that tempt us to believe we can experience lasting joy, fulfillment apart from you. See, the new day has dawned. We're never going back. But one day we will have it more in its fullness in the future. Like uh, another biblical metaphor is a, the, the language of a down payment, right? We've tasted the down payment, but what does the down payment indicate? It indicates there's a lot more coming, right? Like when you get that down payment at the bank, the bank knows there's a lot more money coming, right? And so that's kind of what we are like. We're, we're bankers. We own the bank, and we've experienced the down payment, and we know there's a lot more money coming. And one day, that house is going to get paid off. So it's now and not yet. Right now, it's like we taste just bites, and those bites are so sweet, and they're so good. But one day, we will eat the whole meal. And until that day, we live in this tension of giving thanks with a happy heart for what we have. It's so awesome. Again and again, these bites that we have are so good. At the same time, we long for the final meal when we will be ultimately and finally satisfied. You with me? That's the Christian life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. So here's the point in answer to the question for us, is, is, is fasting still a, a, a deal for us? Is that something we should practice as just a normal practice of following God in our Christian lives? The answer is yes and no. No, not in the old way, but yes in the new way. So here's the difference. Christians don't fast for what they don't have. That's the way the Jews did it. We don't have the Messiah. We don't know when he's coming. They fasted for what they didn't have. But Christians know the Messiah has come. The first coming has taken place with all of its promises and all of its indications. Jesus is risen from the dead. You can trust him. You can bank your life on him. The Messiah has come. We have the Holy Spirit in us. A new day has dawned in the gospel. Death, resurrection, it's all new, all different. Day of rejoicing. 
Every day is a day of rejoicing. But, and yet, we're not all the way there yet. There's an even greater feast to come. We're made new in Christ, not yet completely new. The war is over, but there's still skirmishes taking place that are somewhat serious. The battle is declared over. The enemy is defeated, but he hasn't fully surrendered yet. There's going to come a day soon, but until that day, what do we do? We express that we want more of God. God, we want more of you. We have you, we want more of you. We want more of you and less of our sin. We want to taste more of the joy of our salvation. We we long for a deeper, richer experience of, of the Holy Spirit and his power. So we fast, Christians, we, we, we fast not as an expression of what we don't have, but of how we want more of what we already have. We have the Spirit of God living in us. So sometimes, what does that look like? Very practically, it looks like sometimes I will refrain from food to remind me that what I really need is more of what I already have. I want more of the Spirit as I have the Spirit. I don't want to be dulled by the repetitive nature of the desires of the body. See, sometimes I need to refrain from the usual repetition of satisfying the desires of the body to simply preach to myself that God is better than my physical appetites. It's not every day. Sometimes. I need to be reminded that I will die if I don't eat food. But I need to be reminded even more that I will die for all eternity if I don't have him. Fasting is a great way to preach that to yourself. Fasting reminds us of what our ultimate needs are. Ultimately, I don't need more of myself. I need more of God. I need more of God. So many of my problems can just be boiled down to this self-centeredness. And there's a freedom in self-forgetfulness. And fasting is a great way for me to remind myself, my life's not all about me. My life's about God. I want more of God and less of myself. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, I must decrease. My life is not all about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. That's as basic to Christianity as it gets. And fasting is a way that I can remind myself of that. And there's freedom in that. Oh, man, there's freedom in that. So let me just ask you, have you ever tried fasting? Have you ever tried it? If not, I would encourage you to give it a shot. Maybe you could just start small. Skip lunch. Just skip lunch sometime. And it's not removing something without replacing something, right? So I'm removing food because I'm going to replace with the pursuit of the Lord. So maybe I'm going to skip lunch and I'm going to take the 15 or 20 minutes it would take me to eat lunch. And I'm going to simply read my Bible and I'm going to pray. I'm going to maybe read a couple Psalms. You can just read through Psalm 1 and pray it. Like, Lord, would you make me a Psalm 1 kind of person? Would you make me like a tree with endurance that's planted by a stream of living water? You know, you you could do that in 15 minutes. And that would help heighten and strengthen your awareness of your real needs. 
of your primary needs. It's not that eating is a bad need. It's, it's necessary, but it's just a secondary need to your real needs. Maybe it's skip bre- uh, breakfast and lunch. And in those time slots, you could make an effort to type out a, a really encouraging email or a Slack message for those of us here at the Vine or make a phone call, even better. Just encourage someone. The Bible tells us to encourage one another. Encouraging one another is a way that we can strengthen our family bonds. And when we do that, that glorifies God. Maybe you could skip breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And every time you feel that ache, that ache for food, you you remind yourself in your heart that God is better than food. And you ask him to help you. These are just some simple ways to go about it. Just kind of brainstorming here. And again, the point is that this is a great way to remind yourself that you want more of God and less of yourself. So in summary, Christian fasting, it's, it's kind of peculiar when we think about it correctly theologically. It expresses this kind of irony of the Christian life, that it's both and. It's already and not yet. One of my favorite... Um, pastors that I listen to a lot talks about the Christian life as broken-hearted joy. Broken-hearted joy. It's both and. We're broken-hearted over our sin. We rejoice because Christ has defeated it, and there's no condemnation for those in Christ. It's both. It's happy and discontent all at the same time. So thankful, I want more. God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. I'm so thankful for the experience of your Holy Spirit right now. Lord, I want more. This is Christian fasting. I mean, this is just a small picture of the Christian life. Jesus has come, rejoice. Jesus is coming again. Then we're really going to rejoice. And we long for that day. So let's do our Christian fasting with these ideas fully in mind. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to embrace these ideas, these teachings that help us so much? Father, I pray that we would have, more than anything, just soft hearts and be humble to receive what you would say. That we would come underneath the authority of your word that brings life and brings joy. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.